And it's also, I think, like shows how the industry is transitioning. I think, like, what was the barrier to entry in the past? It was like, you know, the right people in the right places. You have like two hundred million dollars parked in the like in your bank account, so you can actually go and get a banking license. Yeah, and yeah. That's the defensibility. <laughs> where now the defensibility is being like, okay, who actually understands the technology? Can build better products? Can offer them cheaply, like faster? Like, it's just the the name of the game is changing quite a bit. Hello, my name is Chris and I'm head of content at Nordic Fintech Magazine. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about crypto banking as a service. And as we know, as innovation enters the market, there's inevitably kinks to iron out as new solutions reach maturity and enter the mainstream. Today, if you want to venture into the world of crypto, you will have to go through an often cumbersome process of setting up your digital wallet and getting it ready to hold and transact with cryptocurrency. Those who can understand the complexity behind the new types of financial services and who can leverage technology to simplify them are quickly gaining the upper hand in the industry. In our recent visit to Tallinn, the stunning capital city of Estonia, we had the opportunity to meet with Bernardo Magnani, CEO and co-founder of Striga, a financial technology company that is bringing together the worlds of traditional finance and cryptocurrency by seamlessly enabling service providers to handle flows from fiat to crypto and direct card payments settlements against crypto. Find out how Striga's technology is removing the complexity of connecting a crypto wallet with a payment card and dealing with the payment rails and also making crypto integration simple and affordable for banks and other service providers. We guarantee that you will learn a thing or two about how this space is developing after listening to Bernardo's sharp insights. Bernardo. Thank you so much for coming down and meeting us. It's, it's great to see you. No, thanks for coming visit us in Estonia. Oh, we love the being environment here, so here. we're happy to come here anytime. Uh, let's just get started. Tell us a little bit about, about who you are and what you do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to keep it nice and short. I'm Bernardo Magnani. I'm one of the founders and CEO of Striga. Um, very quickly, uh, I know we'll talk a little bit more about Striga, but like Striga basically is a financial infrastructure platform that's bringing together the worlds of cryptocurrency and traditional financial infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So for people that are familiar with companies such as, I guess, Solaris Bank or the Rails Bank, uh, we're very similar, but bringing natively the element of cryptocurrencies to the mix. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're powering uh, some interesting new use cases, like for example, on-ramping to crypto exchanges that may be like looking for a solution to bring people into buying digital assets for the first time. But we also power the other side of the ecosystem, which is off-ramps. So we power crypto powered cards that are, can be settled natively in cryptocurrency as well. Mm -hmm. I, guess, I guess that's kind of like a, an overview of my role today and what I do for a living. Right, okay. All right, I think we'll have to unpack some of that, but let's, let's just get, let's talk a little bit about Striga in the context of What's the core value proposition of the company? For sure. And what's what's the problem it's solving in the market? Yep. So the core value proposition, I think we can package it in, I guess, two main things. Uh, I think one has to do very specifically with the technical capabilities we built. So we build the platform in a way that it's very easy to have this fiat to crypto flows in a way that's very easy and very, yeah, that simple to build for developers. Mm -hmm. So again, like I think one distinctive feature we have is we have a way to, again, I'm going to repeat myself a little bit, settle card payments directly against cryptocurrency. So that means people that build on our platform can just choose to create cards that are backed by Bitcoin natively and they don't need to really care about how the settlement works. Mm -hmm. That's the only platform we know in the market that has the ability to do that. 
And I guess the second box of benefits we have is, I guess, commercially, we're like, we consider ourselves to be top of market in a way that the capital intensiveness of working with us is really, really low. When you look at, I'm not going to mention any specific competitors, but most of our competitors can charge 50, 100, 200,000 uh, US dollars or euros to start working with them just in set of fees, whereas working with Striga, we'll just, we would just have set of fees that are in the realms of 5,000 euros, for example, that's one. And then also our regulatory setup is pretty distinctive in a way that most of our competitors would ask you to be an agent of them. So they need to, you need to go through them, you need to register with the government. With us, that's not required at all because we take care of all the compliance, mm -hmm. both from a legal and technical point of view as well. Right, okay, so I've got a number of follow-up questions here, but first of all, tell us how is it that you can undercut your competitors in price in such a significant yep. difference? Well, I think it's uh, relatively simple, it's economics, right? Uh, I think we have a relatively different way of looking at what's our value in the market. Mm -hmm. So there's two ways of doing this. Like you can go get a license or a relationship with a bank, they're gonna charge you a lot to use that, and then you can try to transfer everything at cost, every single light item, because there's some value in having that scarce asset. Or you can do the same and try to build economies of scale in which like all the fixed costs you're incurring into engaging mm -hmm. with a bank directly or a banking partner, you can dilute into many customers. So our bet is more, we serve a lot of people, we dilute our fixed costs, and at the same time we make money and make their lives easier and the product cheaper. Mm -hmm. So that's more or less the, the way we think about this. Okay, and a second ago you mentioned that you enable people to, to pay with crypto and forget about the settlement part. Can you explain to us how, how is that it works normally uh, without a solution that you're in the market? So what, what would someone need to do if they wanted to use crypto payments and they didn't have the streak around? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think we can double down, for example, in the crypto card uh, use case that is pretty popular with, with what we do. So traditionally, what you would need to do as a company that wants to enable, like say, like a Bitcoin card, you would first need to go find a banking as service provider or like or other type of institutions, we don't need to enter into the detail, that they're open to working with like a crypto company. That's like, there's not a lot of them. Then they need to understand your business model. That's great. Check, that's a big hurdle. Then the second thing you need to do is you need to float your model completely on fiat currency. Yep. So that means the actual card will never like be directly connected with cryptocurrency at all. Mm -hmm. The only thing that this banking as service providers would do is give you the tools to float money on fiat on the other side. So then there's the extra level of complexity. You as a company would need to build all the logics in how you map the fiat settlement of card payments on one side and cryptocurrency on the other side. Mm -hmm. What we allow to do that is abstract, remove all the complexities on that and we allow you to create like a wallet that's directly in cryptocurrency and very simple connect that wallet that's in cryptocurrency with a card. Yeah. So for you as a developer or a startup, it's very simple, it's very obvious. And naturally part of the value add we add behind technically is we deal with Visa and the, all the banking rails and then cryptocurrency as well to make sure that actually happens and everyone is paid as they expect to be paid, right? Right. Okay, so um, if let's say that I'm a, a newbie into the crypto space and I mm -hmm. decide to go and buy some Bitcoin, some Ether or whatever, um, what benefits will I experience directly from dealing with some of your clients? Yeah, I think like the, there's a few, again, benefits we believe we can enable. It really depends just to clarify how our partners or affiliates, as we call mm -hmm. them, decide to build on top of us. Mm -hmm. 
But the type of benefits we can enable is less friction on the on and off boarding. Mm -hmm. For example, traditionally, if you are already a client of a wallet or an exchange, uh, that's not mainstream. Uh, so let's not talk about the Coinbase's, the Binance's. There's a lot of friction into, okay, I have like this currency and I want to be able to cash out and then use it. Like in the real world, there's a lot of levels of abstraction that happen there, mm -hmm. so that's one. When an affiliate builds on top of Striga and then offers that to an end customer, the end customer can just immediately move that money out without mm -hmm. any, like needing to exit their native like environment of an yeah. application or a web like portal. That's number one. And then we also are really bullish about creating a strong value proposition economically speaking. So when a lot of providers like that on-ramp and off-ramp can charge up to 8% to their end customers, mm -hmm. We build a platform with a spirit that our value add is an aggregating services and not charging on the margins. So like for example, all this on-ramping and off-ramp, we charge as little as 15 basis points. So that means our affiliates can really drive very competitive like uh, prices for an end customer. Yep. So just putting it a little more simply, like if you were to like use Strika to build an application, your end customer could just pay maybe probably less than 1% to move their crypto to a card or like to mm -hmm. a banking account. So cheaper, simpler, less friction, more convenience. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, right now, um, let's sh switch gears a little bit. And because uh, you're not you're not Estonian, right? And you chose to set yeah. your company here in Tallinn. Yes. Tell us a little bit what's behind that decision. Why, why Estonia? Yeah. Um, well, Estonia, I think like uh, it's relatively simple and complex at the same time. I think like the decision to come to Estonia comes 100% behind the regulation and the regulatory strategy we have as a company. Mm -hmm. So as you know, the crypto markets are still heavily under-regulated and there's a lot of gray area. Mm -hmm. And we are really trying to play proactively the game of where we need to be to just be prepared to the regulations that's gonna come. So we felt that Estonia was the country in Europe that had the most, I guess, level of seriousness around building stable, scalable, thoughtful rules about digital assets in Europe. And that then as more pan-European regulations come into place, we're gonna be able to leverage that uh, licensing scheme we have to just serve like legally all Europe in a very clean and scalable manner. Uh, mm -hmm. That being said, it's been, a a complicated game. I mean, the regulatory landscape is pretty stringent in Estonia. It's kind of like hard to comply. There's a lot of rules. And then now that the regulatory requirements have increased significantly since March, the actual process, it's, it's the first time the regulators are running this process. So it's been very arduous, very long, a lot of back and forth. Yeah. So I get that that's kind of like a little bit the downside of being here right now. Right. OK, um, now let's, let's talk a little bit about crypto in general, right? Because we know that this is an extremely divisive subject. There's people who just say, well, this is a Ponzi scheme. Others, like the International yeah. Bank of Settlements, the Bank of International Settlements, they say, oh, our, our CBDCs can do anything that crypto can, and, but much better. Um, I, I, I guess it's, it's obvious based on your value proposition yep. that, that you stand behind crypto and, the, and, the, and, the, and its usability as a payment mechanism in the future. So what's your take with all this divisiveness and where do you stand and what, what do you think is the, the source of the, of the controversy? Well, I think a lot of it is like not tech uh, driven. I think there's a lot of politics behind these devices between who should like take care of this technology. Mm. And I would not like to focus too much on that, but I can tell you why I'm excited about cryptocurrencies yeah. and why I feel one way or another, either 
driven by central governments or driven by private institutions or decentralized communities will be powerful. I really think like if you think about how a lot of the banking rails work, there's a lot of intermediation and a lot of unnecessary processes. Mm -hmm. Just to tell you a little bit about my background, I've been working on and off in payments for close to eight years now. Uh, I've also like have a background in management consulting, so I think a lot about like the processes involved in like making things happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I believe that cryptocurrency can play a critical role in simplifying the steps that are required to make something happen. Right. Just for example, if you think about how a card payment is settled today, like you have a process that's an authorization process in which you have a card that goes to a point of sale, then like some institutions communicate, they say, yeah, we approve the payment. Then you need to like reconcile those accounts, like the what's called the issuing bank and the acquiring bank need to say like, yeah, like this person owes this to this person. Yeah, we agree. Yeah. And then there's a payment. Yeah. So just to make it very simple, like if you use decentralized technology like cryptocurrency, eventually you could have one step that were three. And that like by definition at a process level drives massive optimization. Mm. So this is just an example of why I'm bullish about this technology. Right. right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about crypto banking. Mm -hmm. So I guess that the, the, question, the question I have is like, we have banks, lots of them, yeah. more than we need. Why do we need crypto banks? Well, I guess uh, it goes down to like that same point we were discussing previously is how do we believe like innovation, it's going to be driven. And I think it can be driven by at least, I'm oversimplifying three levels, right? It's like either centralized, which is our governments. Mm -hmm. I personally don't think they have the know-how or the ability to execute in the time required, but yep. I may be wrong. I think they could be very beneficial. Then it's, I guess, traditional players. Yeah. Like, do they really like see it clearly and do they have the ability same to execute? Maybe some of them. I think Visa, for example, is being like pretty aggressive with it and I'm excited to see that because I think that can drive a network effect. Yeah. And then you can see like, maybe it's like startups, maybe it's like innovators and it can be like small or big. And I naturally tend to believe like the real innovation happens in that last group. So right. that's why. If you ask me where do I see the equilibrium, I don't think there's gonna be, there should be a million of like this kind of like institutions. I think they should be a handful, mm -hmm. hopefully a little more than banks because that like decentralizes a little bit power and makes like a more efficient ecosystem, but definitely not millions. Right, so, so you actually see a future where traditional banking and crypto banking will sort of coexist in, in balance? Or? I think not exactly. I, I think like my vision really is like they're gonna become like a little bit of a mix. Mm -hmm. Like the way I would love to see this play out is like eventually we'll have like same like banks and like the governance, let's not talk about the governance, who owns them and who rules them and all that. Like I don't wanna get into the detail. But let's get into the detail about their operations. Like I would love to see banks that basically have very similar products but that they actually run in a more efficient infrastructure. Mm. And that allows them to reach different markets, offer cheaper rates, like on the right credit more efficiently by predicting better, like who's gonna default or not. Yeah. Uh, like make better like predictions on if they can actually like have enough collateral to back a loan. I think that's where I'm excited about. And eventually you drive like more complex market transactions that today are very impractical, like buying a house or getting a loan for a car. Yeah. Uh, we know that when it comes to crypto, we've seen a significant change in the market for the past mm -hmm. 10 years, right? Uh, maybe even five years, where initially the banks were in complete denial, then they moved to like 
banning anything that had to do with crypto and increasingly we see them warming up to the idea and they're starting to explore. Yeah. Um, what in your view is happening that is changing this attitude from incumbents and they're making it more open to, to the crypto yeah. space? I mean, I think this is a controversial opinion, but I think like regulators being a little more serious about mm -hmm. like setting limits to what's allowed and not allowed. I think we've seen that in Europe. It's definitely coming to place. Like the UK is way more serious about like drafting like mm -hmm. guidelines. We talked about Estonia as well. I think Germany and France are already kind of like also on the front of that. We see at a European like level like the European Council already said they're gonna like put very specific rules by 2024. They were st still struggling about it, but they're starting to set precedent like in the courts on what are they gonna persecute, what are they not. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it, definitely. Mm -hmm. And then the other, I think like even after like crash after crash of the industry, there's some resilience. And I think now it's proven that some people do see a value if they're gonna stay there regardless and there's an opportunity to do it. Right, right, okay. Now, um, tell me a little bit about what your customers say about Striga. Mm -hmm. what's, what's, what's the general consensus about the service that you're providing? Well, I think like a general consensus is uh, that our product itself, like it's distinctively superior in the way it's uh, communicated. It's just like using some of our customers, like where it's just that simple. Like uh, we made it really, really obvious. Right. Like if you look at our documentation and like our sandbox environment, I mean, of course, if you're not a developer, you probably like wouldn't like see it as that simple, but it's actually like just a few pages. Like it's like a few like API endpoints to make very specific calls. Like it's just like, it's not complex. Right. Uh, so I think there's a, definitely a consensus about that, about the simplicity uh, of how we do things. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also another consensus that people appreciate that we're very open. Like we are, everything is public. Like. Mm -hmm. Our pricing is public, our documentation is public, uh, who we work with is public, like everything is public. We use the same terms like legally for everyone. Mm -hmm. So there's no, no secrets and that's something like our customers appreciate deeply. Yeah. Right, so, so I, I guess that, that level of transparency that the blockchain claims to provide, it's something that you've adopted as a value for your organization as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I think why, why hide things uh, to customers when these products can be in incredibly hard to buy because they can be incredibly complex to understand even if they're simple. Mm. So from our point of view, it's just better to give them all the information they need to make a decision that's smart for them. And ultimately, we want to make sure that customers that come to us actually see value and then learn how to add value to them because yeah. I, we don't really believe in this like five-year logs or like paying $200, like $200,000 in advance. Like if I'm confident that my product are value, they're going to stay and I can yeah. charge them little by little with less commitment. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say that that starts in very stark, stark contrast with perhaps the, the opacity in which the industry has been built as a feature, right? Because yeah. <laughs> like as being cynical, we know that financial services are lack transparency for by design, right? So, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess this mindset really, really showcases where the industry is heading to. And it's also, I think, like shows how the industry is transitioning. I think, like, what was the barrier to entry in the past? It was like you know the right people in the right places. You have like two hundred million dollars parked in the like in your bank account, so you can actually go and get a banking license. Yeah, and yeah. That's the defensibility. <laughs> where now the defensibility is being like, okay, who actually understands the technology? Can build better products? Can offer them cheaply, like faster, like 
it just the, the name of the game is changing quite a bit. Absolutely. So, uh -huh. yeah, I think what you're saying is, is, is it's essential. Is who understands the technology, and mm -hmm. it's a, it's a power shift. It's a power shift. It from, is a power shift. From, okay, just tell us, uh, just to close, um, what's your vision for for Striga, and what role do you think it will play in the market within the next five years? Yeah, I think the role uh, we want to play in the market is just facilitate this integration that I describe about how traditional financial infrastructure and cryptocurrencies start to merge and like more use cases are starting to be performed natively on cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. um, eventually we would also like to get like closer to the rails in the fiat world to be able to like disrupt them more aggressively. So right now we're operate as a virtual asset service provider. Um, that's kind of like a layer of regulation that's like still doesn't allow us to do a lot of things in the fiat realm. Uh, so eventually we've talked about potentially getting an EMI license, getting a Visa principal membership, for example, because that allows us to like start like more aggressively substituting some of the processes. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess, well, I gave you one answer to answer both questions. That's, I guess, like more or less. And just to complement on that, I think this is more like a it's not a plan, it's not a roadmap, but like a longer term vision mm -hmm. where I believe like we could go is, I think about financial in, in sorry, the financial industry as relatively complex. There's like payments, there's like credit, and there's like capital markets. Mm -hmm. So eventually I do think there's an opportunity to expand to those services and apply the same logic of like, how can digital assets actually improve the process in this like sub verticals of the financial industry. Right. Well, you're clearly ahead of the curve. Uh, <laughs> and, it's, and it's really fascinating listening to your view. So um, thanks so much for coming and spending time with us. No, thank, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, it was a real pleasure having you. Likewise, thank you thanks so much. For, for giving us the space.